before we start today's show, let's pause and reflect on the life and career of James Harris, better known to the wrestling world as Kamala, the Ugandan giant. In recent years, Harris publicly battled diabetes, so much so that both of his legs were unfortunately amputated because of the disease. His wife said that he recently contracted the COVID-19 virus and that complications between COVID-19 and his diabetes led to Harris suffering a heart attack, which led to his death later that same day. Harris was 70 at the time of his death. Many will remember Harris for his frightening face paint and unique mannerisms in the ring. However, the 6'7", 380-pound Harris was beloved by people behind the scenes in the wrestling industry. Kamala battled some of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the business, including Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry the King Lawler, The Undertaker, and Andre the Giant. As Kamala, Harris terrorized opponents and thrilled audiences throughout Memphis, Mid-South, World Class, WCW, WWE, TNA, up until his retirement in 2010. The Pro Wrestling Elitist Podcast sends nothing but love during this incredibly hard time for James Harris's friends, family, and his fans. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pro Wrestling Elitist Podcast. My name is Corey Atkinson and we've got a loaded show for you. Before we deep dive into today's main topic, let's take a look at some headlines. Kevin Riley, the executive responsible for bringing AEW to TNT, has been forced out of his position at Warner Media. When reached for comment, executives at AEW replied with the following. Oh, shit. Eric Bischoff returned to TNT on last week's AEW Dynamite. It was the first time Eric Bischoff had been on a Turner Network since leaving WCW in 2000. Coincidentally, this was also the first time the world was treated to his new liberal agenda, specifically getting his take on global warming and climate change. Next for Eric Bischoff appears to be partnering with Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to pass the Green New Deal. Well, I could put the trash into a landfill where it's going to stay for millions of years, or I could burn it up and get a nice smoky smell in here and let that smoke go into the sky where it turns into stars. Chris Jericho's band Fozzie played the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally over the weekend in a move being heavily criticized by, well, literally everybody that didn't attend Sturgis. In unrelated news, don't expect Chris Jericho at the next set of AEW tapings due to him having the fucking coronavirus. I look like an asshole. Finally, it was recently discovered that the Gun Club's logo is similar to that of the Volknot, a well-known white supremacist logo. Upon further review, when we say it's similar, it's actually identical. It turns out that with the Washington Redskins changing their name and logo, Billy and Austin Gunn saw an opportunity to gain media attention to only later learn that no one actually gives a shit about them. Seriously, guys, change the goddamn logo. I start thinking, you know, and it makes me... Well, would you look at that? Another monologue down, people. And they said it couldn't be done. Moving on, over the last few weeks, you've probably heard me refer to Cody Rhodes as Hydra Captain America. For more on this, let's take a deep dive. Hail Hydra. 
These are the nine letters and two words that changed the landscape of Marvel Comics during the Secret Empire event in 2017. No, this villainous mantra wasn't uttered by Hydra mainstays like the Red Skull or Baron Zemo for the 8 millionth time. Instead, it came from the lips of Steve Rogers, better known to readers as Captain America. At the time, this unthinkable betrayal by the Sentinel of Liberty was part of a larger conspiracy put in place by the Red Skull to warp the mind of Captain America by using the power of the Cosmic Cube. What followed was a vulgar abuse of power used by the Red Skull to control his greatest rival. And this couldn't have been predicted by anyone, unbeknownst to anyone. The now corrupt Steve Rogers began swiftly removing those who could pose a threat to his planned rise to power. He was, for all intents and purposes, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Anyone that could blow his cover they were quickly eliminated. Anyone that could complicate his rise to power, they were executed. This includes the man who leveraged the Cosmic Cube to sway the first Avenger to the dark side to begin with, the Red Skull. He was murdered in front of his daughter. Fast forward to 2019, and let's return to our reality. All Elite Wrestling isn't just announced as the new alternative for professional wrestling fans. It's a thriving revolution taking the sport by storm. At the forefront of this unparalleled uprising is the American nightmare Cody Rhodes. In fact, it could be argued that Cody isn't just the face of this pro wrestling revolution. He's also the voice mobilizing the masses. He's the, the finger on the trigger begging to fire the first shot. He's the blood coursing through the veins of this insurgency. For as fast as AEW rose to prominence, the same could be said for Cody. He's a natural leader with a million dollar smile and a pedigree unlike any other. He's someone the people have rallied behind. He's someone they believe in. The people will ride or die with Cody. But how did we get here? Cody was never someone that was liked by the fans. In fact, he was loathed by most of them. Over the years, Cody has stabbed his mentor in the back, put paper bags over the heads of fans to mask their faces, viciously attacked legends and Hall of Famers from behind, lost his mind and became whatever the hell Stardust was, kicked Jay Lethal in the nuts, and staged a coup for the leadership of the Bullet Club. None of these deeds were heroic or selfless. Prior to the formation of All Elite Wrestling, Cody was mostly a manipulative, narcissistic asshole. So why compare Cody to Captain America from the Secret Empire Saga? After all, Captain America broke bad and Cody is breaking good? How do these two seemingly very different stories overlap? Our hero, our protagonist, Cody, He's redeemed himself. He has done away with his dastardly deeds. He's on the up and up, right? I mean, isn't he? Enough preamble. It's time to face the facts. No matter how you feel about it, Cody has you right where he wants you. While Cody has camouflaged his true intentions behind a hero's facade, there have been cracks slowly forming in the concrete. During his time in AEW, Cody took shortcuts to defeat Sonny Kiss, threw his wife into Darby Allen, had a bloody war with Jungle Boy, and that blood, there is still blood on the hands of the American Nightmare, and there isn't enough bleach in the world to wash it away. 
Do you need further evidence to prove that Cody isn't the man that you think he is? Is former protege MJF loudly declared to whomever would listen that Cody isn't the man that we all think he is? I thought Cody cared about me, MJF said. I will never, ever forget in a million years the day that I got invited to a business meeting and he sat me down and he told me that he saw something in me, that he wanted to make me a star, that he believed in me. He said all I had to do, and this is laughable now, is bet on myself. MJF went on to say, and fast forward, me betting on myself apparently included me dressing up in a Star Trek outfit to walk to the ring with him in his shadow. I don't think he ever had my best interests at heart, which is sad because I thought he did. What he did was manipulate me, and that's why, yeah, it is real. Every bit of this, I hate to call it a feud or a rivalry because that just sounds phony and hokey. Everything about this is real. I looked up to this man. I wanted to be like this man. I just didn't realize how crooked he was. And I get so sad when I hear the fans cheer his name because they have no idea how much of a crock of shit he is in real life. Some might ask, if Cody were so powerful, why isn't he the AEW Men's World Champion? It's my belief that Cody wholeheartedly thought he would be champion right now. Cody, for all of his flaws and for all of his scheming, didn't expect the betrayal of MJF to happen, or rather... Cody expected MJF to betray him, just not in that moment. Since then, Cody has amassed an army. Whenever it is that Cody decides to stage his coup for control over AEW, and he will, it will be interesting to see who stays by his side. Randy Rhodes recently flipped a switch while teaming with Allie, and the now Nightmare Sisters, they are firing on all cylinders. With Brandy turning to the dark side, you know, that mirrors the path that Cody is on, or is seemingly on. QT Marshall runs the Nightmare Factory, a virtual breeding ground for training disciples, while also preaching the gospel of the current TNT champion. Arn Anderson is branching out his services to help out FTR, the enforcer, very much in the ear of Cody Rhodes to this day. And let's not forget, Arn Anderson has never been the type of person to wear white and save the day. Arn Anderson has been a bastard for most, if not all, of his career. So then, what about Dustin? Dustin seems to be an innocent bystander in all of this. Dustin is actively watching things like envy, lust, and pride poison his brother. The real question becomes, when Dustin realizes it, is it too late to help his brother see the air in his ways? Or does this become Cody's Star Wars moment, something that he probably revels and longs for when he looks his brother in the eyes and he plunges the proverbial sword through his heart, giving himself over to the dark side in the process? What would come next would be quick and calculated through fear and domination. The Nightmare family would finally earn their name. Think about WCW, the New World Order and the constant questioning about who you can trust. Did Cody bring in someone like Matt Cardona into AEW to have his back? What about Luther and Mel? They were loyal to Brandy at one point in time when they were together in the Nightmare Collective. Are they still in the back pocket of Cody? Who else would be willing to stand by Cody's side as he tears through the fabric of AEW? Additionally, think about WWE and the Nexus. 
and wondering who they'll target next. Would Cody actually turn on the elite? Could Cody target Chris Jericho in the inner circle? Would the elite in the inner circle have to combine forces to take on Cody and his nightmare army? Finally, most importantly, when does Cody take out Moxley? When does Cody fulfill what he believes is his legacy and his birthright and becomes the AEW world champion? And does he do it alone or does he do it as the leader of a faction? Not unlike when he tried to rule over the Bullet Club. The story AEW is potentially weaving right now would be the type of thing that would get lapsed fans to watch wrestling again. People love hostile takeovers and betrayals and whodunits and good, well-thought-out, long-term storytelling. It's my belief that Cody Rhodes is the man to make that happen if timed right and if done well. And with the right pieces in place, this could be the event that takes AEW to the next level. A buzz like this won't be ignored for long. Right now, the more eyes on AEW, the better. Again, and for the final time, I ask you, is Cody Rhodes the man you think he is? Is he AEW savior or is he their biggest nightmare come to life hiding in plain sight? That's our show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Elitist Podcast and a new episode will be hot and toasty for you every Tuesday. While you're at it, please consider rating the show five stars as this helps us garner more listeners. Finally, We'd love to hear your opinion on anything AEW related. Please reach out to us at PWLeadus on Twitter and Instagram or send us an email at PWLeadus at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be looking at the AEW women's division. I look forward to talking with you then. Until that time, stay safe and take care. I'll see you in hell, Boners. Later, dudes. S you and your A's. Don't wear a C in jail over your B's. <laughs>